Well, hello, and welcome to episode 488 of the show. In this week's show, we keep talking about Boeing, uh, all good and bad news. Uh, we say goodbye to NASA's Ingenuity Martian helicopter. And in the military news this week, the US Air Force brings in a new chief of staff. And no, it's not Armando. And we have some Warbird updates for the UK this year. So joining me this week across in the studio, and he's not stressed at with at all. That's no, all good. It's, of course, it's all good. we've got it all working. That's the main thing. Oh, yes. Hello. Nice to be back. I hope you missed me. <laughs> do you know what? Do you know? What? I, I know because obviously a lot of the listeners may not know, but I know that you've got an incredibly busy uh, few weeks coming up soon, haven't you? Because you'll be doing lots of presenting uh, yes yes uh, very much uh, very much under duress I'm not gonna lie but yes uh, I'm going to be covering the park radio breakfast show for eight weeks um, and it's gonna Ooh. hurt there's no two ways about it it's gonna hurt because it's a fourth it's a 430 alarm so there we go uh, <laughs> oh you'll be all right it'll be fine yes yeah but that's fine anyway yeah. nothing to do with that it's aviation with today. yeah I know uh, good uh, good evening to you Matt good to see you in the studio obviously yes 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 now that we've ironed charge. out the bugs honestly yes. every every time I leave you in the studio you always leave me with some technical faux pas to deal with honestly <laughs> so, says he who, who normally leaves me a switch that's pushed in which i why can't i hear anyone oh, oh, oh here we go yeah. honestly we're like anyway, a married couple third world problems yeah. and uh, this week nev's not here he's uh, over in barcelona on work i will say not on holiday uh, so nev can't be with us this week oh i bet i bet there's a couple of glasses of uh, chardonnay i or... wouldn't be surprised <laughs> but joining us he's back this week oh thank goodness he's back it's uh, good to see him back on the show again, as always. Our resident pilot, it's Armando. Oh, I thought you were going to. I thought you were introducing John. No, <laughs> back on the show, resident pilot, kind of fit the mold. Uh, yeah, no, Nev, that guy, he's traveling as much as our resident cargo pilot right now. <laughs> I'm glad to see that he's back on the road, actually, because we've been missing the uh, Nev's passengers' experiences or terminal tantrums, as we call them now. Tantrums, yeah. Oh, good to see you, Amanda. How's things with you? Busy, I'm guessing, because you always are. Yes, yes, sir. Always, always busy, always doing something. I was just telling um, John, who has known me forever now, uh, I think we officially qualify as forever, um, that I just started uh, training for my flight instructor, too. So that's Ooh. more studying that we have to do on top of the regular studying. Lovely. <laughs> is that is that books or iPads, Armando? Uh, now yeah, it's mostly iPad, iPad yeah. yeah. You know, the best part about it is uh, I, I found a local instructor to instruct me on instructing. And uh, I told him, it's like, hey, you know, like, I, I own an airplane. I, I'd really like to do most of the flying stuff in a biplane. And he said, yeah, okay. Oh, fair enough. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. that long. Yeah. Mm. I, 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 I've always wanted, so it's, my, it's my live stream. That is one of these days I will own an iPad. I do love an iPad. <laughs> I thought you were going to say it by plane. No, 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 no. Let's, let's be real here, children. I'd pay money I'll to send see you that. Money. Actually, hobby time's in there. Hobby time, let's get on this. Let's send Matt and I have uh, my plane. An iPad. By plane. Anyways, move on, wow. Carlos. Okay. We just, uh, lost uh, the plot. An airplane <laughs> by pad, uh, iPad. Yeah, that'll do. Uh, and uh, joining us back uh, back on the show this week, we've, we, he's been on. He's been a he's been a frequent guest on the show, but we've got him back again this week. Apart from the fact that this time he's back on the show, it's not two in half the past morning or half past yeah. silly o'clock where he is. Uh, so welcome back onto the show, John Jester. 
Hi, everybody from uh, lovely uh, Texas, right next to the Dallas-Fort Worth Airport, where it is not uh, minus 33 degrees Celsius. This is where I was earlier uh, yesterday, so uh, I was up in Fairbanks when uh, Carlos reached out to me. So I'm glad to be back on the show. Kind of worked out, luckily, with the schedule changes to get me here. Nice. And <laughs> nice airplane that I love to hate back there, I would say, too. Do you uh, you sort of used Celsius like it was something you use on a regular basis? Is that is that your sort of your your measure? Is it or do you do the Fahrenheit thing? Um, I work in either. I don't really switch anymore in my head. Oh uh, wow! Okay, I live in both. Well, I mean, ich wohne in Netherlands and they have Celsius <laughs> there. So yes, yes, yes. Uh, and all the aviation weather is in Celsius for a long time. So I, I probably stopped converting it in my head except for passengers so 15 years ago 20 years ago I had, to, I had to put a i because because uh the the when i'm doing the radio thing uh, the the audience is um uh, more familiar with fahrenheit shall we say than celsius and um yeah i have to i we, we had to put a little algorithm in to convert just so that i could give them both <laughs> numbers because i yeah I got temperatures it, it ranged anywhere around town when we were driving around between minus 23 fahrenheit and minus 36th Fahrenheit, I think I saw once, but yeah, it was just stupid cold. Silly cold, yeah. God, and there was us moaning a few weeks ago, Matt, that we got down to what, minus Uh, Minus six was the lowest that we hit, yeah, which was quite cold for us, to be fair. I think the lowest I've ever known here is um, minus minus 10, I think, is the lowest that I have in, in living memory here. Um, but uh, I, I know certainly large parts of the US and that kind of thing. I mean, it gets it gets like I, I, I mean, I want to say uh, minus twenty is not unusual in parts of the US. No, yeah, no. it's definitely not. Yeah, it'll be the same day. Yeah, North Dakota will be minus twenty, and Miami will be seventy-eight Fahrenheit. It's wow! Can you crazy. can you imagine, Matt, if we ever got? Them, those sort of temperatures here in the UK. What, the minus ones or the plus ones? The, the minus ones. No, I mean, you see, the, pro- the, the pro- whole country would shut down. Indeed. I mean, Carlos often refers to it as, you see, in the UK here, we don't get snow, we get snow. And as soon as we get snow, the whole of the country grinds to a halt. <laughs> Do you know, I'm going to wow you right now, that is the title of the first episode that I appeared on on this show. Oh, was it? Oh, what, snuh, rather than, yeah, snuh, yeah. not snuh. I don't know if you guys remember that back in 20, Goodness me. 2017, 2018, Goodness. when you had that crazy snow and I drove out to the barn oh, studio. The, and... Oh, was that the, oh, that was the Beast from the East, wasn't it? Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Word, the Beast from the East. Yes, the yeah, show yeah. title that <laughs> week was, it's not snow, it's snuh. Yeah. Although, I was like, ironically, we did away? actually get snow. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. That was a lot of stuff. Well, and, 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 and to get you the idea of how cold it gets in places like where I was up in uh, Fairbanks and some places in northern plains, they, uh, parking lots come with plugs to plug your car in to keep the heater. Oh, wow. Okay. To keep the oil, oil hot so it doesn't uh, turn to just gunk. Gunk, yeah, absolutely. Blimey. Anyway, we're slightly off topic. Um... <laughs> no, it's chilly. It's lovely. I had to turn the heater down here just now because it's blooming oh, hot right. in here. Okay. Um, that's, the, that's the only trouble you see. When, when I go to go and look after Poppy Cat, which I am doing for a few days while he's off to Geneva, as you do, um, 
and they have it quite a lot warmer than we do have than we have here because we can we can only afford 17 celsius here um and it's uh as i said he said you are warm enough aren't you he's just like yes i'm i'm melting it's fine the thermostat yeah. is set on 24 permanently yeah, yeah i know um well so we better say hello to everyone in the chat room uh this week let's have a quick whiz through mazoos hello to local listener mazoos good to see you in it hobby time hello to you richard adams uh nana's in there as well we've got tanya hello tanya uh dirk s uh masha hello masha alan white's in there good to see you alan uh bill he's joined us as well this week good to see you bill uh, let me scroll down, make sure I don't miss anyone. I don't think I've missed anyone. Uh, Evan has just joined us. Evan has just joined us. Evan? Evan? Yeah. Yeah, he says, G'day, team. Sorry, that's, Blimey, the, it must be. that's the worst <laughs> accent. I, I apologise in advance. And that's I'm normally me who does yeah, that. Yeah, kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, good to see you, Evan. Must be ridiculously early in the morning where Evan is. Yeah, morning. We'll go with that. Uh, don't forget, uh, if you're listening to the audio show, we are on YouTube every week on a Wednesday now. Not Fridays. We are Wednesday live shows now at 7 o'clock here. Uh, don't forget to click subscribe and the bell icon as well to be notified when we are live and recording new episodes of the show like we are now. So we've got loads to get through on the, sh on the show this evening. Plus all the news, and also we're going to give you guys and girls an extra week on the competition this week uh, to win that uh, posh immunity kit that Mr. Barnes is giving yeah. away. So you've got another week to enter the uh, prize draw on that, but we are going to give you the details on that later on the show. And we've got our caption this as well this week. Back with that. But uh, Matt, commercial news time. Okay, ready? Yeah, here we go then. Here we go. The captain has turned on the seatbelt light. Please take your seats and fasten your seatbelts. So, story one this week in the commercial news segment comes to us from three or oh, fl360aero.com. These websites get harder to see every <laughs> week. Uh, this uh, this all about the Max Nines. Um, that it won't be business as usual for Boeing, says the FAA, after clearing the way for the MAX 9s to get back into the sky again. Uh, the American regulator, or the FAA, says that Boeing's grounded 737 MAX 9 fleet can return back to the skies again uh, after a thorough inspection and maintenance process. But the agency also imposed sweeping jet production restrictions at the company's factories. This will hit the uh, Boeing's commercially as it wanted to ramp up the production of the MAX 9 uh, to better compete with Airbus amid growing airlines demand for the new planes in a market that witnesses significant travel growth. It's been nearly three weeks since the uh, federal regulators took 171 of the Boeing aircraft out of service after part of the fuselage, or to be specific, the inactive door plug of an Alaska Airlines aircraft blew out at 16 feet after taking off from Portland uh, over in the US. Following the 25th of January announcement, both United and Alaska Airlines revealed plans to resume flying their grounded MAX 9 aircraft after receiving final approval from the agency to complete the process to return the aircraft to service. Now they said we grounded the uh, MAX 9s within hours of the incident over Portland, they said. 
This made clear the aircraft would not go back into service until it was safe. An apparent whistleblower said that mistakes inside the aerospace giant's plant in Renton uh, were likely to blame for the incident. The self-described Boeing employee who alleged that the four key bolts that were supposed to hold the door in place were never actually installed after maintenance work before the jet left the factory. The FAA announced, uh, or announcement did not mention those allegations, but the agency has its own concerns about Boeing's production and manufacturing process. The FAA laid out an inspection and maintenance process that the company must carry out on each of the grounded 171 MAX 9 aircraft in order to make them eligible to return to service. The production cap applies to MAX 8 and 9s, which are in use around the world, as well as upcoming smaller MAX 7 and larger MAX 10 variants. It's quite obvious that Boeing has been in a ramp-up mode to clear the substantial backlog of orders that resulted due to the global grounding of the MAX uh, after the two fatal crashes back in 2018 and 2019. And now the roadmap comes after an Alaska Airlines 737 MAX 9, as we said, lost its door earlier in the month, which pro prompted uh, the uh, launch of a federal investigation. Well... I did see the report earlier on in the week about uh, the fact that um, they, they said that now they, they are aware that the, the bolts weren't even in place in that door plug. So, yeah, what's going on over there, guys? Well, <laughs> from, uh, the, from the silence. <laughs> yeah, we're both shocked, I think. That's one way to describe this. It's a shocking revelation that the... That the quality control systems within Boeing are so um, broken that it's it's allowing this to happen. The um, issue seems to be related to two different quality management and maintenance tracking systems that are used by one from uh, Boeing and one from Spirit Aerosystems. Spirit is the subcontractor that does the production on the uh, fuselages where. They're done in uh, Kansas, put on a train, and thrown up uh, to uh, Washington State, where they're produced the rest of the way. And then, apparently, Spirit Air Systems is putting people up there to fix the mistakes that are being found at Boeing. The problem is, is apparently, they're using two different systems that aren't fully talking to one another, not fully integrated. And uh, this apparently had... Uh, a process where either the door was considered to be taken off or opened and it caused or triggered two separate actions in terms of quality control and they said it was going to be open which did not trigger the full quality control it would come in and inspect that all the bolts were properly installed again so that to me is a huge mistake i have in my past life been a qa auditor and it's the type of thing that you're there for as a QA auditor is to make sure the processes are there to to make sure stuff like this does not slip through and, and, and it happens but I mean it's kind of shocking and it's kind of production level that somebody wasn't going through and before they put the interior in and checking all the parts were there uh, it's just shocking so mm. yeah that pretty much sums it up from my end too you know if you remember back to uh, the MCAS issue with Boeing, mm. a lot of pilots, at least Western pilots said, well, you know, it's a training issue and, and sure there were some gaps found in that, uh, changes were made to the system and that really, uh, uh, passed on to the pilots. And I think there was a, you know, there was a good 
avenue for airlines and operators to pass that training on. But this is anything that is unseen like this is uh, is a little bit scary. And I, you know, even as a as a as a pilot, you've you put a lot of trust into the manufacturer and and um, you know by all accounts, both Airbus and Boeing, right? I don't I don't have a dog in that fight, but they are both good at what they do. And when you have a massive system uh, systems engineering failure like this, it uh, really does kind of make you think a little bit. I'm, I don't know that any any of us would stop flying for any reason uh, if you were a seven thirty seven pilot, but it but it certainly does um, put into question you know, the, the, the safety practices and the QA practices like John is talking about. Mm. I saw a story earlier this week on uh, one of the U.S. news feeds about they were talking about the, how, the, um, uh, how passengers have been affected by this, this, you know, the incident with the door with the Boeing aircraft and the whole Boeing aircraft design and what have you. But one thing I, I haven't seen yet is no one said, you know, what, what do the pilots think of this? You know, the, the guys who actually have to fly these aircraft, no one's sort of said in any of the stories I've seen, you know, how this is affecting the thoughts, the you know, thought processes of the guys who actually have to fly these aircraft with passengers on every day. Maybe it's a little bit too much bravado, but it, I don't know, it doesn't, I don't really think about it. Even as a passenger jumping on a 737, I, I, it wouldn't keep me from doing anything different. I know mm. the airlines are offering opportunities for people to change their flights uh, free of charge if they're on a MAX. Um, but that's just because they discovered this on a MAX, right? That the, the 7.5 could have a flaw that's discovered. The A320 could have a flaw that's discovered tomorrow, and we would never know, right? But, I, th I think that the, the issue for me, though, and I, I know we had this conversation in our group chat, didn't we, sort of during the week where we were saying... Like, I mean, surely this is like the last nail in the coffin for um, the eight two hundred and all that kind of thing. But I, I know the conversation we had in the in the, in our in our chat room was that uh, actually uh, we're almost too far down the line with with this now. But uh, I mean, I don't know. Will people, because they're concerned about it, go to the extra lengths to find out whether it's an eight two hundred over a? Over so. some other, uh, over some other um, Max aircraft. I mean, it might be a few. It. Yeah, a few <laughs> aviation yeah. nerds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's, there's gonna be a few. There's always a few that do that. I, I'm of the same opinion as Armando. It, it's not gonna stress me too much if I'm on a Max or not. I will uh, continue to keep my seatbelt on at all times, but that's just what I do in general. And uh, I think that the Generally, the pilots, especially those of us that are flying in a professional capacity, we train for things to happen and and to deal with them and to move on to the next day. We trained oftentimes for multiple things to happen and to uh, compartmentalize, deal with it, move on, get the next thing, move on, and, and continue to fly the plane and operate as a as a effective team. And you know, quite frankly, a uh, a door flying off is going to be highly startling with the rapid depressurization, but you're going to work through it and get the airplane on the ground because you have to. There's no, there's no other option. Yeah, yeah, I guess. Um, some comments in the chat room here. The um, <laughs> who is it? Uh, Darren says, "Well, it's easy by Airbus and be safe." Well, that's a story that we don't have in there right now. 
but the United CEO apparently went over to uh, France and they, there is some significant conversation right now about Boeing or uh, sorry, United Airlines going to Airbus. Uh, that would be a huge blow to Boeing. And, uh, and I think it was Richard. Yeah. Richard Adams in the chat room says uh, about using shadow boards for their tools. And occasionally uh, I remember last year we talked about the KC 46 production and the Air Force had found that Boeing did not have accurate, um, adequate QA processes, and there were tools found in the fuselage and, and different areas. So um, I always just imagine somebody in Toulouse looking at all these problems and going, hey, can we check our tool boards? <laughs> yeah, check, true. Yeah. Let's check our door plugs. <laughs> not, not not feeling smug, perhaps. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> Yeah, perhaps not, but... Um, yeah. yeah, but it's interesting to see, before we move on, just as how, you know, Boeing rebounds off this, you know, how well they rebound off the back of this, but we'll see. I, I, as I, think, I, say, be, I think they'll be fine, but it's just... I'm, ju I'm just worried because it's, it's another one to do with the similar, you know, with a it's, a... it's a slightly different configuration, isn't it? But it is more or less the same aircraft, and that's m my worry, I guess. But... You know what I say, John, Armando? Should have stuck with a seven five. <laughs> Tried and tested. Anyway, on that note, Matt, I think this next story was chosen especially uh, for you. I've got a feeling that um, that Nick may well have put this story in here, especially uh, especially just for you. Okie dokie. All right, then. Well, we'll take a look at it. The uh, the website is themessenger.com, and the headline is Front Tire of Delta Boeing Plane Falls Off and Rolls Away While Taxiing for Takeoff. Oh, that's handy then. Uh, a Delta <laughs> Airlines Boeing uh, 757 lost its nose wheel while taxiing for departure. Daniel Slim, AFP via Getty Images, uh, the nose wheel of a Delta Airlines 757 bound for uh, Bogota, Colombia, came off as the aircraft taxied. Uh, for departure in Atlanta on Saturday. Delta Flight 982 stopped and passengers were returned to the terminal at Hartsville-Jackson Atlanta International Airport via buses, according to the Federal Aviation Administration, which said it will investigate the incident. No one was injured. The flight had 172 passengers and six crew members. A Delta spokesperson said in an email, Delta 757-200s have 199 seats. Boeing delivered its last 757 back in 2004 mm. the jet had been a workhorse for a, for decades uh, for numerous airlines and still flies with delta united and iceland air and mm. if you've ever watched the airliners live stream at manchester and the air the iceland air um 75 flies in there it looks it, it looks stunning mm, i bet it honestly does yeah indeed and who doesn't love an rb211 um john hey if I knew what one of those was, I'd be very... Oh, John doesn't. Me, I don't like one. Ah, <laughs> oh, John! <laughs> Excellent. I love it. Incorrect uh, answer. Triple schools, John. rotates the wrong way. Mm, indeed. Oh. Uh, so I'm a G guy. Yeah, it's... Um, I don't know, it's... When so... I saw this story on the news this week, I thought I had visions of the pilots on the uh, flight deck of the 7.5 
and then just seeing this wheel trundling in front of them down onto the runway. But mm. apparently it came off behind them. And so what, so one of the things actually that Nick's put in the notes here, because Nick did the, the notes this week, you're saying three months ago, it's unlikely we'd have heard about this in mainstream media. Have these maintenance type issues become more newsworthy because we're all a bit more sensitive to aviation incidents? Or is it just jumping on the bandwagon to get more clicks? Um, yes and, and yes. Yes, 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 tick, yeah. tick, tick. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, I, I, and, and forgive me. This happens on a regular basis. Yeah, this it's is not a big saying. deal. There are two tires up there. Okay, somebody probably screwed up, or you know, part failed. It, it, most likely, somebody screwed up on how they put it on there. The aircraft is more than capable of surviving on that one tire. And with Boeing in the news, it's the same thing with the. Uh, mm. uh, some of these other stories or other events that have happened recently with, uh, you know, other Boeing products are not at all related. Often does not even at all related to Boeing, and it, but it's making the news because Boeing's in the name of the aircraft. Hmm. But let's be let's be clear here: the the, the seven five seven is built like a brick outhouse. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, but if the tire had gone in front of the crew, in front of the aircraft, the crew would have been like, "That's oh, going to be a lot of paperwork." <laughs> that's usually that's usually what we think when anything you know, like non-critical, happens. Oh yeah. man, this is my day just got yeah. longer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, we lost when I was at when I was at an airline. For those of you who knew what airline I used to fly for, we also lost a tire. I think it was in Chicago. Um, yeah, I think it was O'Hare. The tire fell in somebody's front yard, so we were airborne. Not we. I wasn't there. Ow. No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, yeah. Let's, uh, speaking of uh, things, uh, no, I don't even know how to segue that. Uh, let's go to space. Let's yeah. go to Mars. Let's yeah. go to space. Yeah. Definitely. So uh, this was all over the news, but uh, specifically, this story is from the BBC. Uh, NASA's Ingenuity Mars helicopter, which made history by achieving the first powered flight on another world, uh, has suffered its mission-ending damage. In a statement, NASA said that the aircraft was forced to perform what they're calling an emergency landing that damaged its rotors. Uh, Bill Nelson, he's uh, part of NASA, said that the little helicopter that could racked up far more flights than had been intended, kind of similar to Oppie, their Mars rover. He said that Ingenuity had paved the way for future flight in the solar system. Uh, It is said to remain upright, but some images show that one or more of its rotor blades were damaged and it was no longer capable of flight. Um, of course, NASA is investigating, but uh, you know they everybody thought that it was remarkable that the aircraft flew higher and farther than they ever designed it to or imagined and helped NASA do what they do best, which is make the impossible possible. Uh, Ingenuity did actually uh, reach the Red Planet, Mars, in February 2021 by riding on the belly of Perseverance. And it was meant to be on a uh, short technology demonstration to prove that flight was possible in the Martian atmosphere. It uh, went on to support Perseverance in in its exploration of some craters and previewing some areas of Mars that were of interest, obviously, to scientists, and uh, even helped the wheeled robot and its drivers on Earth pick the right path for it to drive down. So um, we were just talking about this uh, earlier or before the show started. There's a great documentary called uh, Goodnight Oppie. Um, if you're into this kind of air and space stuff, they uh, have, uh, it was really neat to watch NASA 
extend the life of that particular rover um, way longer than they thought it was going to. Uh, similar, I'm sure we'll see something with the ingenuity. But a pretty cool story. I think John and I both uh, kind of grew up in the Washington Dulles area, area where the Smithsonian is very present, and uh, before the Udvar Hazy Center was there. Um, John, you and I went to the the facility, right? Where uh, was the Enterprise that was in the hangar there? And we take a field trip. I, I did. I think you went with uh, Jake, Al, Al Jake's uh, there, but yeah, I, I remember that place. I remember. I was there for um, when they brought in the shuttle Enterprise initially, and then I came there when they brought in uh, what's in there now? I can't remember which 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 shuttles well, in there Anella now. Anella Gay was there, and this is before the Udvar Hazy, yeah. like I said. Um, and I remember uh, the Anella Gay, the Enterprise, and um, oh gosh, there was another really famous airplane uh, that was just. It was basically in a barn. It was an SR seventy well, one and there's a C one thirty A. I was yeah, actually it. was working at Dulles the day the SR seventy one did the speed run and working in the Hertz car lot when it went across and you heard this double boom and I was like, What the heck was that? Not knowing this was occurring. And then like twenty minutes later I looked out and I'm like, What is that weird black thing with the light on it? And it was an SR-71 landing at Dulles Airport on its uh, retirement flight. But, yeah, they had a barn just out there with the uh, Enterprise and the SR-71 in it and a C-130A model parked in the grass next to it, essentially, for God, probably 15, 20 years before they got them all yeah. put together and put into Udvar-Hazy. Udvar-Hazy is just insane. And I got to be there when they swapped out the Enterprise to bring in the full shuttle. Uh, Took pictures of it and all, so it was pretty, pretty neat place to go. Have to do it yeah. if you're there in DC area. Absolutely, even on the layover, if you're a, an aviator, you know, if you're a cabin crew or pilot or anything, anybody, anybody that's connecting through Washington Dulles, plan an extra, uh, I don't know, a minimum six hours, eight hours, or preferably overnight to go into. If you run through it, you can do it in four, but you can't really read. <laughs> yeah. yeah, none of us would be able to run through it. No, no, no. I'm built for comfort, yeah, so- not speed. Pretty cool story, and I guess the why I brought that up is uh, is, is some really neat uh, space exhibits at the Udvar Hazy now. Um, the whole back wing is is uh, dedicated to space, so pretty have, neat place I, to go. I have to say, actually, because I mean, presumably this left the UK quite a quite a long time ago. I mean, when did it? Can anybody remember when it left um, Earth? Twenty twenty. Oh, twenty twenty, right? It got there twenty twenty one. Yeah. Okay. Oh, so it didn't take as long as I thought. It's just it, it just very much reminds me of what we know as a drone now. Do you know what I mean? It looks very yeah. drone like in it. It's sort of for similar sort of technology. You can see the little gyros on it and you know, the battery pack and everything, you know, the how it's all central and and things like that. I mean it is very much drone like what you know, what you know you you can buy um you know sort of over the counter now as a as a sort of standard thing it's uh, I mean, admittedly it doesn't have a solar panel on so it can charge itself up that that's a re- that would be a revelation um but uh, well, the, makes... the impressive thing was its ability to fly in that thin atmosphere so it's, it's essentially almost like flying a drone at thirty thousand feet right it's, it's, okay the rpm on the rotors is very high uh, i would anybody who's really interested in this at all i would look up scott manley who just did a great video talking about the uh 
crash and uh, maybe some ideas of what happened, why it happened, and why they can't fly it anymore, and talks about the whole program itself in general. Mm -hmm. he, he does a really good job. Anything on space, he's a great uh, great view. Has a great radio voice too. So, and I'm now going to make myself look extremely stupid, and I don't care because I am who I am. Um, but I, in the photos there, it was sort of daylight, and I, I don't know why I thought that would be such a sort of strange thing. It just looked like a a red sandy beach essentially. Yeah, okay, just me. That's fine. Away. No, no, no. That's fine. Just, <laughs> just me. That's I, fine. <laughs> I was, I was going to say that the, the picture that we've got on the show notes, where it's uh, on that sort of brown soily uh, area, looks like there's a pipe that's sort of on the you know buried, sort of in the in the ground there slightly, like it's uh, like a, a waste pipe or something there. That's <laughs> what the landing feet that's in there. Yeah. Perhaps it. Uh, yeah, the, thing, the, the the discussion I heard it was that possibly. When they're flying it, it was over basically like sand dunes, and that the navigation camera began to have issues because of the lack of features or lack of its ability to pick up the features. And then when it came in the land, it didn't judge it quite right, and, and uh, maybe came in and, and hit it at an angle where it contacted the rotors with the surface, and uh, then came the rest with the damage to it because those are like really light carbon fiber blades so probably not too uh damage resistance because they're they're trying to keep everything so light on that uh airframe yeah well, they'll ever retrieve it where they'll bring it back to earth one day we never know mm, yeah maybe marvin will bring it back not until we get <laughs> not until we get warp capability anyway warp capability there you go yeah. all right <laughs> wow should we bring it back to earth yeah shall we <laughs> should we be boring oh yeah more, more paddle, exit doors <laughs> paddle your own canoe this one is so Ooh, forgive forgive me is that a legitimate news site or is it is that... yeah what? it is how oh, yes okay it's, it's actually right. quite quite news but um quite okay. a lot of news all right it? if you say so yeah so, yeah paddle your own canoe this one's from dot com uh passenger rushes to defend defend a seatmate who opened the emergency exit door and climbed out onto the wing during a lengthy tarmac delay. Okay, fellow passengers on board an Aeromexico flight from Mexico City to Guatemala rushed to the defence of a seatmate who opened the overwing emergency exit and climbed onto the wing during a lengthy tarmac delay. Several witnesses or witness or witnessed several of these kinds of incidents over the last few years, which we have on the show. We've heard quite a few of these, actually. And they're normally a surefire way to upset passengers who have to deal with the consequences of one person's foolish antics. But in this case, the passengers actually praised the man who opened the exit door. Aeromexico flight AM672 was due to depart Mexico City at around 8.45 on Thursday in the morning. Uh, but there was a lengthy delay and passengers said they were kept on board the 737 without access to water or ventilation. Ah, there we go. Uh, with no end in sight to the creeping round, ground delay, the man apparently opened the emergency exit in order to get some fresh air into the cabin. Of course, the consequence of his actions was that the aircraft then had to be swapped out for a new aircraft because engineers would need to reinstall the overwing exit, but that didn't seem to bother many of his seatmates. After he was taken into custody by local law enforcement, dozens of other passengers on a delayed flight signed a handwritten statement explaining that, they had, uh, that he'd opened the emergency exit to help 
all of the passengers on board the delayed plane. According to local media reports, at least 77 passengers on the aircraft signed the statement which stated the delay and lack of air created conditions that endangered the health of the passengers. He saved our lives. The man had opened the exit to protect everyone with the support of everyone. The statement continued. Anyway, the flight had initially been delayed due to a maintenance issue and then Aeromexico had to find a new aircraft to take the passengers to Guatemala City. In the end, they arrived at their destination just over four hours and 45 minutes late. That's a standard delay here in the UK. Yeah, uh, the airport authority confirmed that the man was taken into custody in accordance with the international security regulations, but it's not clear whether Aeromexico will press charges against the man. So, uh, okay, um, so I, I do have a question here, and I'm sure there's a very legitimate reason why the cabin crew... Um, I, I get why you can't just open the door. Don't get me wrong. I, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying that. But there was presumably a, a reason, whether it's because they were, a, you know, potentially going to be given clearance at any moment to take off. That might have been one of the factors. I know, but I, I'm curious to know as to why it wasn't uh, like attached to uh, a ground APU in order to get like the air conditioning system up and running. Um, I mean, I, I guess it, you know, was it not near the terminal building? Perhaps that could have been a reason why. Um, again, I'm sure there's some legitimate reasons as perhaps why they couldn't use the onboard APU to fire things up and, and sort of just keep the air flowing. I, I, I'm just really confused as to why, as to why the passengers found themselves in this situation in the first place so, you know ground, ground delays are not uncommon uh, you know carlos is joking saying it sort of seems to happen to virtually every flight i mean mum's little flight to ireland um going out was delayed by uh 55 minutes and that seemed to be a perfectly normal you know normal thing these days and that's fine but it, it i mean is there a reason why in this scenario if everything has all turned off why can't they just open the doors, like, say, front and back for a little while and get a bit of air flow if there is a legitimate reason why, A, they're stuck there for a you know, prolonged period of time, and, B, they can't get make the APU fire up or, or plug in for whatever reason? Yeah, I think there's a lot missing from the story because usually, you know, if you know you're going to have a delay on the, on the ramp or on the tarmac, you can shut down both engines, keep the APU running. What I don't know is uh, the effectiveness of an APU in Mexico. <clears throat> you know how long are you going to sit there uh, i don't know how long it can run cool air uh, before it just starts getting ineffective uh, john can probably chime in on that um also i've traveled plenty i've flown on airlines from other countries especially in south america quite a bit i don't know that i would really put it past them if you if the captain says it's okay you know you're going to be out there you know you put a uh you can disarm the slides and put uh put a, a, a galley cart in front of them and open up all four doors to get some, you know, I wouldn't open up an overwing exit because it takes, you know, a mechanic to put it back in, um, even though they're on a hinge, <laughs> as we know. Um, um, the uh, But the, you know, one LNR and four NLR, you can probably open them up with no issues whatsoever, at least get some airflow in there. That would be a, a, obviously a captain decision. But uh, John, you know, the effectiveness of APUs on the ground for... It's definitely going to be having a harder time because the elevation is so high. It, it would have a little hard time keeping a lot of airflow through. There's definitely a lot missing from this. Why was the crew not running the APU? Why was there not air? Were they on the gate? Were they off the gate? 
there's just so much missing the answer for for the sort of the choices. Now, I will say also that a lot of foreign carriers, and I'm looking at Nev's airline, have a tendency to sit at the gate on ground power only, and maybe turn the research fan on. Which, if you're like me, just doesn't cut it. I'm just hot and sweaty, and it just builds up. And if you're not running the air, uh, you know, it just kind of you're like in a in an insulated bottle, and all that heat and moisture kind of builds up really quickly because normally the airflow is going through the packs, which sucks all the moisture out. And that's part of the reason why it feels so cool. Um, yeah, that, yeah, there's just, just too many questions in here that are, are missing to really kind of make a, a good determination. Open the doors up on a, a taxiway or on, on a ramp there off it. Yeah. Okay. Maybe Mexico you could get away with that. Definitely can do that in the States. That yeah, be for a, sure. You've just removed all starter emergency exits, right? Yeah, you've removed the exits. You've uh, opened to a secure area. Uh, I, yeah, there's just numerous issues. I, 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 when I first started the airlines, uh, after surviving training with Armando's father, uh, <laughs> I um, was out flying in LaGuardia, and we got stuck on the ground there for quite a while due to thunderstorms, and we had the plane that had a bad. Uh, air conditioning system on it and we were probably upwards of uh, you know 125 Fahrenheit maybe 40 something Celsius uh, you know and it was brutal and we couldn't open the doors and we finally had to threaten our company that we were just going to declare emergency and taxi to the nearest open parking spot and park ourselves to get a gate and get off the plane because we were all I mean I was literally in my t-shirt with my pants pulled up around my knees uh, you know, they're pouring water over everybody. We had not a single drop of liquid in the plane after being stuck out for two and a half, three hours. So it's no fun being stuck on a plane like that. And then people get claustrophobic too. That's, that's the other thing. It's just, it's not a good experience for anybody. That's why we had yeah. the rules in the U S about that too. Yeah. It is weird. Once one passenger starts freaking out, um, it, it kind of rolls from there, snowballs from there. And then everybody's upset and yeah, you get, um, yeah, it gets a it's little bit difficult one, to manage passengers. Yeah, I, I feel like this could have been managed better. I guess is is what what I'm I'm saying here. I mean, it's uh, I'm maybe sure they... maybe not like like we're saying. There's a lot of missing information here. So. Mm, potentially, yeah, indeed. Obviously, obviously, John wouldn't have had this issue with his aircraft because you just open up the four thousand meter wide cargo door and <laughs> loads of glorious fresh air would pour in. We actually sometimes we have the planes without the APU, and uh, we'll open up the slide hatch on the uh, right side of the uh, mm. the uh, upper deck, and then we'll uh, open up the emergency hatch above in the roof, and it acts like a nice chimney, so it pulls in air there. And, and uh, if the breeze is from the yellow side, then we'll kind of open the door at the top of the stairs if it's uh, possible, and have the air come up the stairs and, and through the to tear things out, but. Yeah, with no air conditioning, a lot of times, like, if it's, you know, getting warm and stuffy, a lot of us now will, will just refuse the airplanes if uh, we're going to be stuck down the ground or we're going to say, make, put, make it put an air conditioner on or we're getting off. So it's not fun. And we're we're used to it, you know. So. True, true. But, uh... Now, Matt, the next story we've got should realistically, 
be a, be a Nev story, I think, with the uh, probably he'll do, subject. he'll do a be- he'll do a better job of the pronunciations. That is that is a guarantee. Um, I, I I guess I've got this one a because Nev isn't here and b because I used to work for a wine company. That's all <laughs> I can think of. Uh, anyway, uh, oh. it's uh, the uh, it's. Uh, uh, the website is uh, Deezen Delta Echo Zulu Echo Echo November dot com. Uh, so Deezen dot com, and the headline is Raphael Vinoli Architects unveil plans for vineyard covered airport terminal. Uh, so uh, U.S. studio Raphael Vinoli Architects has unveiled its plans for an international terminal at Florence Airport in Italy that will be crowned by a 7.7 hectare vineyard. The airport terminal will encompass 50,000 square metres and is expected to be used by more than 5.9 million passengers annually. Raphael Vinoli Architects has an international terminal for Florence Airport. A few details about the details uh, about the design have been released, but the terminal's main feature will be a vast sloping roof which will be lined with skylights and 38 rows of usable vineyards according to the architects this is a nod to florence's reputation as the heart of italy's renowned wine country tuscany uh, the uh, unique uh, unique to the new terminal will be a 19 acre 7.7 hectare vineyard uh, that uh, gently slopes upwards to embrace the skylit airport terminal, said the studio. A leading vintner from the region will cultivate the vineyards and the wine will be crafted and aged in specialised cellars beneath the terminal's roof. Inside, the terminal will feature a large uh, piazza-type space at its centre, which will be flanked by the arrivals and departures areas on opposite sides. This central space will be linked to transport, parking and retail spaces open to both passengers and local people and is hoped to streamline circulation for the terminal. Other key elements of the proposal include the reorientation of Florence Airport's formerly Airporto Amerigo uh, Vespucci apologies if I've butchered that Uh, Amerigo Vespucci bless you He's the guy that America was named yeah, after. Kazuntite, dear. And uh, existing runway by 90 degrees. This move will turn the runway away from the surrounding hills and lengthen it to better suit modern aircraft. The plans will also improve the airport's links to the city and wider region through uh, multimodal transport options, including a new light rail system, the studio has said. Uh, Raphael Vinoli uh, Architects was founded in 1983 by the late architect Raphael Vinoli. No kidding. Uh, Its uh, construction of the airport terminal will be carried out in two phases, with the first slated for completion in 2026 and the second in 2035. Gotta be Um, retired by then. 2026? That's that's like two years away. Well, yes. You're going to be retired in two years? I'd like to think so. Wow, okay. I still keep playing those Clearly they week. pay you way too much where you are. Mm. <laughs> I honestly, when I saw this story, I thought, are we, are we in April already? Mm, I'm I'm look at the, the chat room thinks this is a caption this already. Yeah. Because <laughs> we have, uh, Dirk says, working title, The Grape Gates. Richard Adams says, uh, surefire way to get lots of whining passengers. 
Uh, hey! Uh, Richard yeah. says grape expectations. Oh dear. Dirk says lots of lots of barrel rolls. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> but sec oh, he, but security will be the bottleneck. Oh, oh man! <laughs> oh, I mean, I, before we move on, I mean, there are some pictures here which I will just pop up. I mean, it does look. I mean, it it's going to be it's going to be great to look at. There's no two ways about it, is there? I mean, that's a what a great way to turn something that would otherwise be, you know, I, I suppose in this day and age, you don't tend to waste space like this nowadays, do you? I mean, usually it'll have solar panels or something like that on it. But I mean, this is a great way of sort of um, minimizing your carbon footprint and all that kind of thing, you know, sort of compensating for the amount of concrete and stuff that... Uh, that you're going to be using. I mean, it, it's know, an it's interesting use of It's a, a great idea, isn't it? Mm. But I mean, of course, we the prototype for this sort of system is very much in our neck of the woods. I mean, Adnams were one of the first um, breweries there. New building uh, on the outskirts of Southwold uh, has this exact same con concept. Um, and they have been known to grow. Um, they did experiment. I think they only did it once, unfortunately, but they did experiment growing some of the, the grain required um, on the roof of the building because it was, you know, like crop, you know, it was um, grass and things like that that they were using originally. So somebody thought it might be fun to, to, to grow the, um, you know, to do sort of a, a batch using the, the, the very, the building. Um, and chat but, room's not stopping. No. Neil, okay. Neil Amwell okay. says that was a corking story. Oh, dear. Oh, my God. We better move on. Uh, it, should, next it, it should have been the caption this, really, shouldn't it, for this week? But anyway. Right. <laughs> He's got his first story for this week on the show. John, you've got stories. All right. So from the .com, uh Air Canada Boeing 787-9 tires damaged on departure from London Heathrow. And Air Canada 787-9 Dreamliner got a report during the climb out from takeoff that smoke was observed from the aircraft. Pass decided to return to London Heathrow after noticing a brake fault and a blown tire. Reviewing the Aviation Herald, the report was that the, an Air Canada 787-9 Charlie Foxtrot Golf Delta Zulu on flight uh, AC-856 from London Heathrow to Mumbai, uh, India, took off from London Heathrow with uh, the tower reporting smoke during takeoff. At the same time, the cockpit was informed of two flat tires. How did the cockpit know of two flat tires after takeoff, namely a thing called ICAS or Engine Indicating and Crew Alerting System? The system is created by uh, aircraft sensors feeding into a computer to send push notifications to the 787. Uh, I'm going to simplify this for guys real quick, but yeah, we can pull up a screen that shows the tire pressures on uh, the newer Boeings. Our Dash 8 has this. It's wonderful. There's the brake temperatures, brake pressure, uh, tires. You can see all this kind of stuff, and it makes it really pretty easy to determine what's happened to you, and that's what they did. They, they made a determination. And looks like they turned around and uh, reported, uh, re relanded, uh, according to the Aviation Herald, to report uh, even with 10 tires, four of them on each of the two landing gear assemblies. The pilots returned to London Heathrow after burning off fuel uh, to get to a safe landing, which would be very important to, to minimize the stress on the aircraft. Um, yeah, this happens. You can hit something on the runway, uh, you can get a hot break for some reason that uh, suddenly causes a problem for you on takeoff. And uh, you lose a tire uh, by it, uh, dematerializing. And usually these tires, when they, they do let go, 
tend to take out their partner. So, but it, it happens and we can land with these pretty easy. Not a big, not a big deal. Yeah, really the only issue would be the potential overweight landing, right? Because if you're taking off from Heathrow to Mumbai, you'd get a turn. Back. Yeah, that's probably a fairly lengthy uh, fuel burn. And, and they, 787, I believe, are standard with the uh, fuel dump capability. So, you know, burn off some gas, get back down the weight, and uh, dump some if you have to, uh, you know, fertilize the uh, English countryside. Let's do the part for the environment. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's good. So yeah, five and six that's adjacent tires let loose, and that's a uh, yeah, it's a simple concept to get back around there and deal with that kind of stuff. So wow, just a walk in the park. As you seems do. To be, seems this to be a should of, be a non-event for us, honestly. Seems to be a lot yeah, of wheel-related stories this week. Yeah, but I, I do think I do think as you were saying earlier, it, I think it's just because people are, you know, it, this sort of thing wouldn't normally make you know national news and I, th I do think people are getting a bit sort of oversensitive to no, it absolutely not but you know what that's what we're that's what we're here for we're here to temper the news and the <laughs> the twenties of thousands of people that listen to this show monthly um <laughs> see we're just we're assuaging their fears and saying you know it's a big nothing burger it's a big nothing burger that's a great exactly. great way of exactly and i love burgers there's no two ways about it <laughs> I prefer, a, yeah, beef, I mean, I pr prefer I was... a beef Wellington, but you know, if if I can't have one of those, then I'll go for a, I'll go for that. I, that that's still the my nothing bit. burger standard is, is is very definitely true on this though. It's, it's a, 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 I watched the seven sixty seven do the same thing where it lost the tires right on takeoff. I watched it happen, and they just kept on going and landed forty minutes later. Mm, yeah, that was it. Yeah, so. that's that's my biggest claim to fame, by the way, Armando. Meg saying it was the best steak she'd ever had in her life. Well, there you go. That's a big compliment. That is. I know, I know absolutely. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you're not welcome in my house anymore because that's my job, but whatever. Root, root, no, it's fair. It's fair. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a prize I'm willing to suffer for. That's like, an, that's like an American staple, right? Like you make your own steak in your house and that's the best steak that anybody's ever had. Right, okay. And then this, my this, kingdom. this, this idiot British person turns up. Not my kingdom, not your kingdom, even though you came in looking like a king. Yeah, but we, you've moved house now, so it's fine. It's your domain again now. Okay. I'll make steak for dinner tonight. Scrub the plants, babe. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. Blimey. If only they know how I had my steaks, Matt. Hey. Uh, cremated, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. As I say, Armando would literally weep. Ooh, uh, <laughs> how do we kick him off the call? I know, uh, absolutely. A, Sorry. He's the host. <laughs> the three dots. Oh, yeah, I yeah. can only pin him. Yeah. Oh. Oh. <laughs> anyway, next story comes from Flight Global again. Oh, Lord. Uh, Airbus seeks approval. For, this is a good story, Matt. This is if you're going to... Uh, but you want more room in the short-haul uh, fleets. Airbus seeks approval for A321XLR Mini Suites Ooh, on behalf of U.S. operator. Airbus is seeking U.S. regulatory approval for uh, fitting of Mini Suites to the A321XLR on behalf of a U.S. operator. They're looking to configure the twin jet for a three-class layout. 
The Air Framer formally applied to the US FAA for the clearance on the 17th of January. In the States, the US carrier wants to install an 155-seat configuration including 20 business class seats, 12 premium economy and 123 economy seats. The business class cabinet adds will feature mini suites positioned at a 49 degree angle with respect to the aircraft's longitudinal axis. Now, while Airbus has not identified the carrier involved, uh, American Airlines has previously revealed plans for 20 mini-suites uh, featuring sliding doors in a herringbone formation on its A321XLRs. Airbus tells the FAA the complete closure of each single mini-suite would be achieved by a passenger-controlled sliding door, but such installations are not covered by U.S. regulations. These regulations prevent the installation of doors which separate passenger cabins or present a barrier between passenger seats and emergency exits. Airbus has requested a regulatory exemption from the FAA in order to proceed with the mini-suite installations. It's arguably whether the sliding door installed on the mini-suites really constitutes a door in the sense of the rule the airframe states. But it points out that the design precautions on the 321XLR will provide an acceptable level of safety and eliminate the risk to passengers. Airbus notes that mini-suites are already fitted on a number of aircraft models in Europe, while similar mini-suites feature on the Boeing 737 MAX. It has listed several features of the proposed mini-suites to back up its case. They do not present a hazard to passengers, and Airbus also puts forward an economic case for their installation. Operators want to provide the travelling public with a very high level of comfort, which Matt Smith would love. And the possibility to install many suites in the aircraft is achieving that goal, it says. The ability to install the, uh, and certify the mini suites in the business class improves the operator's marketability and leads to an increase in their sales. That's if you can afford to sit in them seats. Because they're not cheap. I can't. <laughs> Let's be honest here, guys and girls, you know. But, I mean, there was some pictures. I don't know whether you've got the pictures for this or not. Uh, no, there, I haven't. There was, no. there was some pictures on the story. The uh, links will be in the show notes, as always. But there was some pictures in the stories for this. And it, it does look nice. And I think if you are travelling, because obviously there are a number of airlines who are using the 321XLR to go across the pond, um, you know, a long haul, as we call it, uh, to the US. And, you know, it's nice to think that if you are on a single aisle aircraft that you would have the ability to have a a lie flat seat and a, a door you can shut to be more private i, I mean think, uh, uh, boeing requested an exemption last year may may of last year and uh i believe they received it they received uh, for mini suites on their 737 max aircraft so there's already has it on Delta has it on some of their airframes already. Their Delta One suites are pretty nice. It has a little mini sliding door and it has sort of a normal way of opening it and then an emergency way to basically the, the door falls off, essentially. <laughs> and that it, uh, it's easy. It just kind of blocks your view from your aisle mate across the way. And uh, it does make it a little bit more comfortable feeling when you're trying to take a nap lying down. And yeah, lie down suites, lay, lay flat slide seats are Bueno. Uh, you were talking about Alaska Airlines there for a second. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but obviously not, not as good as your seats up on the uh, flight deck, hey, John? 
Uh, let's uh, see. Would I rather cross in a lie flat sea or fly <laughs> in the airplane? I'm going to go. I'm, I'm going to go with option A. I think. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've I've mentioned on the show a couple of times. I love flying. I love the view from our office, but I sure would like to be in the back with somebody else flying me all the time. Yeah, I bet. Keep playing in numbers, Armando. Yeah. Well, yes, quite. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Now, Armando, you've got uh, next door. This is quite interesting. Con well, considering the age, probably, of the aircraft in question. Uh, that's a great segue. I had to ask Captain Jeff uh, for clearance to actually talk about this story because this is his retirement job. He just hasn't ah, told anybody yet. Right. <laughs> uh, so Boeing has started transforming an MD-90 into Ooh. NASA's X-66 demonstrated uh, demonstrator. Uh, they've started dismantling and scanning this old aircraft as part of a multi-year NASA project to transform it into what they're calling a truss braced wing demonstrator. Uh, the airplane arrived in Palmdale, California last August. Um, we didn't run the story on the show. I remember seeing this happening, uh, but the team has, uh, Boeing's team has removed the MD-90s uh, engines and they're doing some uh, optical and laser scans of the aircraft. Uh, that's just as of last week. Now Boeing and its partners will spend a couple years removing the jet's wings and 19 fuselage sections before equipping it with what they're calling this transonic truss braced wing. Uh, the first flight of the X-66 is targeted for the third quarter of 2028. Uh, this is part of NASA's Sustainable Flight Demonstrator Program, uh, which aims to validate that the wing can significantly improve fuel efficiency, uh, but the X-66 could, uh, could be used to test other fuel-saving technologies. On January 8th, the company also released a time-lapse video uh, depicting modifications that they've done to date, including the removal of the engines, uh, the jacking and the shoring of the jet, and the scanning that we just talked about. Um, this aircraft was uh, manufactured in 1999 and acquired from Delta Airlines. Wink. Um, this truss-braced wing is set to be mounted on top of the MD-90's fuselage it's supposed to be highly flexible, much longer than traditional uh, wings, requiring it to be supported by trusses. And that extra length and increased aspect ratio um, should generate less drag than traditional wings. This could make, according to NASA, a narrow body jet 10% more efficient than current aircraft. And with other technological advances, it could bring uh, potential gains up to 30% uh, more efficiency. Um, another this this another Northern Virginia company, Aurora Flight Sciences, uh, is actually manufacturing the X-66 composite material wing in West Virginia, and they're going to be shipped out to Palmdale, California. It's going to be a fly-by-wire aircraft, um, but the uh, Boeing is going to retain the mechanical cable system that controlled the rudder and the elevator. Uh, they're looking at 0.8, a Mach 0.8 cruise speed. And they're calling the wing transonic because parts of the uh, of the air flowing around that wing will either meet or exceed Mach one. Well, overall, it's you know subsonic aircraft. Um, there you go. So uh, pretty neat. Uh, they're going to use some Pratt and Whitney engines on this. That also going to be new. And uh, yeah, like I said, this is going to be Captain Jeff's retirement job. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> if he's listening to the show, you're not. Sorry. <laughs> I bet. I bet. I bet. It's pretty neat. Uh, we saw this design um, 
if you guys remember uh, from uh, the Biha, the Fairdair concept mm. has the same over wing concept with the with a lift generating truss. I was just trying to find out where that aircraft originated from. Actually, um, uh, here we go. Just looking at there. There we go. That particular aircraft you've just been talking about there, Armando, first flew in... 1999. That was 99 with China Northern Airlines. And it was owned by Delta in 2011. There you go. Yeah. So you never know. Jeff may well have well, I'm sure, I'm sure he's flown it. Yeah, he's flown. Yeah. He's flown everything. <laughs> Um, speaking of new aircraft, you've got the next story, which is uh, a new airline aircraft going on there. Yeah, new airline. Yeah, new airline. This I, I didn't even know about this, Matt. Honestly, this is in our country as well. Uh, this is on Aerotime.aero, uh, the website, and uh, UK airline Ascend. It's an interesting name for an airline. Ascend Airways receives first aircraft for a spring 2024 start. UK-based startup. Uh, carrier Ascend Airways has received its first aircraft. There's no finalising plans to begin services during spring 2024. The carrier is one of the latest additions to Avia Solutions Group, or ASG. Uh, their expanding portfolio of Acme Aircraft, or ACMI. Uh, the specialist airline, its Ascend Airways, is due to operate uh, two Boeing 737s in the first year of operations. Its two aircraft will be based at London Gatwick and London Southend Airport. No, oh, I've never worked out why they call it London Southend, Matt. Uh, the carrier's first aircraft, a Boeing 737-800, Gulf Hotel Oscar Delta Lima, is currently undergoing entry into service checks. It was formerly operated by fellow ASG carrier Class Jet. Never heard of them guys either, which operates uh, operated as uh, Lima Yankee Bravo Uniform Sierra. The aircraft now is just over 12 years old, just barely, barely youngster. Uh, began life in 2011 with Pegasus Airlines in Turkey, and the aircraft is seated with 189 seats in a single class configuration and features the updated Boeing Sky interior. The second airline for the airline, or second aircraft for the airline, I should say, is a 737 MAX 8. Uh, the exact provenance of which is yet to be revealed. It's a 2022 build airframe. It'll also seat 189 passengers. Headed up by the former Titan Airways CEO, Alastair Wilson, Ascend Airways was launched to provide additional capacity in the European ACMI market, an area which uh, ASG has expanded hugely in by recent years by establishing new charter carriers in the UK. Uh, ASG hopes to offer additional capacity to European scheduled and charter airlines that regularly use ACMI operations during the peak travel seasons. To expedite the formation of its new UK-based ACMI operation and to acquire a UK air operator certificate, ASG uh, acquired a UK-based ch air charter business, Synergy Aviation, back in July 2023. Synergy is a niche air charter business based at Fair Oaks Airport in Hampshire, UK, along with its existing air charter aircraft management and consultancy services. The company also offers several turboprop and business jets to the private charter market. Although initially focusing on the ACMI contract flying business, Ascend Airways will also offer its aircraft for VIP and ad hoc charter flights. 
according to the carrier's website, Ascend intends to add enhanced cabin solutions to the aircraft and offer business class and VIP service offerings in the future. The business is committed to sustainable aviation and aligned with the UK Jet Zero strategy, as well as serving the UK market. Ascend Airways shall operate its worldwide uh, leverage of the UK's trade agreements to provide services to customers overseas. The new airline also claims it can provide on-board, uh, buy on-board services, st standard economy class catering, arranged bespoke first-class catering, and cabin services with an open bar, depending on customer objectives and requirements. And they can also brand the aircraft and interiors to produce a wow factor for your guests. With its management team already in post and recruitment for both pilots and cabin crew already well underway, Ascend Airways is progressing quickly towards its first flight in spring this year, 2024. Now, this is um, one of those airlines that uh, is a bit like Titan, if you've heard of Titan in the UK. Uh, they're one of the airlines that um, airlines like uh, EasyJet, can call up on when they're short on aircraft and they can ask these guys to provide an aircraft to to cover flights i know easyjet i think uses titan quite a bit actually here in the uk to um you know um cover the shortfall of aircraft and for their flights and stuff but um yeah a new airline yeah there's a huge market for this that um most people i think don't know about where uh, corporate aviation or sports teams or you know large corporations want this kind of travel for a large group and having the ability to brand the aircraft kind of on the fly, <laughs> pun intended, um, but also because they're ASG and they already have this sort of family of airlines, you know, the, it gives them the, uh, the maintenance, uh, I guess, depth to run this, the operational depth to run a couple aircraft like this on the side as, as charters and, and corporate and private aviation. But um, I'm sure John has probably seen as on in his travels just as much as I have, especially when you go into Vegas, you go into some of the big airports, there's, there's probably more charter corporate slash private 737s and Airbuses and, and than, than most people would think, even 747s. Yeah, I think uh, I know a company that does a uh, little ACMI passenger work. A uh, little bit, a uh, little bit familiar with that. Um, obviously, Acme Global does this. We are an ACMI carrier, and we operate uh, both 747s and 767s in this type of segment. I mean, this is more, I think, in general, a, a European niche market for covering for other airlines on a regular basis for passengers, but. There are a lot of carriers that exist in this segment uh, doing both the passengers in uh, like a charter, working with, with larger groups. Uh, I've done charters for the WWE wrestling group, and they contract with somebody else who didn't contract with one of these ACMI carriers to do the, the A to B stuff. And, you know, we've done sports teams, and we have the sports teams logos all over the seats. We have dedicated crews that, that know all the passengers, what they want um, with like football teams. They, the, the whole catering meal plan is done by the team. Uh, so they can offer a lot of opportunities for uh, a, a customer to have a great product and get people ready to be that you can't really get with an, uh, an airline or it's much more complicated. 
scheduling, flexibility, that kind of stuff. But, you know, like this company, it seems to be more trying to cover for other airlines inside Europe. That's more of a European thing overall, but you do see this throughout the U.S. and a lot of the uh, Mexican, Central American carriers coming up here, bringing service in as well as uh, some in the U.S. as well. Miami Air comes to mind as, as another ACMI carrier back when they were operating. So, Yeah, and, um, and sports teams is huge here. And a lot of times when you see a, a Delta jet or an American Airlines jet, um, or you know one of your airplanes on the at the FBO ramp, you know something good is happening, and and generally there's going to be what four or five tour buses that are going to show up at some point, and uh, it's pretty neat. You know, I think I don't know. What do you what do you like doing these kinds of charters? I, I, I put on your airline pilot hat if you got to do something unique like like this, like sports charters or sports teams. Yeah, I've had the opportunity to do, like I said, WWE I did, and I did a, uh, a football charter, and uh, both were fun and challenging, frustrating somewhat too, because uh, so, it's, it's it's a different process. Uh, but, uh, you know, we rely, especially when we're doing a passenger charter like that, uh, quite a lot on our flight attendant uh, teammates and uh, the pursers especially. You just really know the game and, we look at them with uh, sort of puppy dog eyes and go, what, what do we do to not screw up? <laughs> and um, and otherwise, it's A to B. And the worst thing I do is uh, train the person to not yank on the speed brakes like they usually do in a cargo plane because we don't usually care. It's just A to B, the airplane. <laughs> but now we have to actually be uh, graceful. Yeah. So well, yeah, I try know, to play yeah. graceful all the time, but that's just me being me. So... <laughs> They, uh, John's company, as well as some of its competitors, um, flies what we in the military called the rotator lovingly. Uh, the rotator is, is a passenger configured aircraft. Uh, it could be a, you know, seven, six, triple seven, uh, could be seven, three, something like that, but usually it's triple, uh, triple seven or seven, six. And if you're lucky, if you're lucky, I've geek a seven, four, um, but those are the there's like this a uh, civilian run uh airline that nobody knows about that gets the families and the and the military members and contractors uh not just like to and from combat locations or or i guess contingency locations but also just on a regular schedule they ran um so i was like stationed at mildenhall and they ran regularly from mildenhall uh to um Ramstein and then from Ramstein back to the U.S. somewhere. And that was always a, a fast avenue for us to get us or our families or something back to the States. Or if you had a, um, you know, it's the military. So they're asking you to move your family, which is you, your spouse, your three kids and your two dogs, um, having to make somebody go through commercial travel is, is challenging so especially you, you, the young military members we relied a lot on the rotators um oh it was bwa that's what it was uh, bwi to uh, to mildenhall um to provide just a, a kind of more calming environment for them to get to uh to their overseas location so on behalf of all of us i appreciate it john <laughs> that's a fun change for us to do we just don't yeah. do it very often in our companies so. yeah uh, the next story 
if Matt is yeah. ready for it. I am, yes. Yes, 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 yes. Oh, should we play? So that's story number 10. Yeah, this was um, this was a story I think I, I, I buzzed you about it earlier in the week, didn't I, John? And we were talking about this uh, over WhatsApp, wasn't it? Yeah. We discussed this. But, yeah, this this is something that propped up on Av Herald. It happened um, well, January the 24th. It was an Asiana 747-400 freighter. Uh, that was flying from San Francisco to Seoul. It took off um, from San Fran's runway 28 right uh, when uh, an airport vehicle said they saw sparks coming off the aircraft. The crew stopped to climb 8,000 feet, entered the hold, and returned to San Francisco for a safe landing on runway 28 around about 70 minutes after departure. Now, I saw, watched the video for this. The, uh, this is on VAS Aviation. And, Amanda, I don't know whether you got a chance to listen to this um, this ATC recording as well, but for me, I didn't I was? When, well, I'll I tell you what. When Matt hits the play button, straight. it'll be the first for me. Yeah, um, but John, I think you, you've got you've got a few comments on this as well, haven't you? So, uh, Matt, if you want to press the button, we're going to start this recording a few minutes into the actual initial uh, event. So, hit that button, Matt, or not? Or not? Hang on. Trying, trying again. Hang on, hang on. Here we go. Oh, it's all going well today, isn't it? Here we go. Uh, Here we go. Professional. Alright, Avion 35 Heavy, just to confirm, you want to continue on the on your current heading and climbing, or would you like vectors back to San Francisco? Uh, we need to uh, maintain heading and climbing. Maintain six thousand due to. Uh, we have solved the problem, and maybe we will return to the San Francisco. Okay, Asiana 35 Heavy, for now, contact Oakland Center on 125.85, advise them of your intentions. And if you need to come back, they will vector you back and hand you off to me. Roger, 125.85, uh, Oakland Center, contact Asiana 35. Right, right heading 030. 
just said that. We can see that there's a few comments in the chat room um, that, yeah, there's a few comments in the chat room for sure on that. Um, Richard Adams is saying, surprise, ATC, don't slow down for a bit and just listen. Um, Darren is also saying in the chat room, ATC is terrible at not listening. Mm. Um, Dirk S says, it's a cargo flight for God's yeah, sake. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, un- I guess in, in, in one oh, way... Okay. Oh, go on, sorry. Sorry, John, go on. Well, I was going to say, AG and RH would probably uh, get on this and say that, that the, on the controller side, they're being pressed to grab all this information as fast as possible to then report it back. And the flight deck side, there's, there's probably at least a three-person crew. There's probably... Maybe the third guy is doing the ra- trying to do the radios, and so you're having a conversation between three pilots, with the captain making decisions. It's probably in Korean, and then having to be translated on the fly. American controllers are not spectacular at uh, keeping it very standard for the uh, Asian carriers. Plus, 
the these guys are, are thinking. It would be like asking me to do an emergency in Dutch. I speak Dutch. I can use Dutch, but I could I would be stumbling like this yeah. trying to do radio calls in Dutch if I was trying to do this and, in the Netherlands. And forgive and forgive me here, as I say, I, I, I'm I, I sit here openly not knowing much about the industry, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, but I, I I do feel like um I don't know, I I feel like that the, the crews were put under an awful lot of pressure. Um, which they probably didn't need, given that they got a number two engine fail and and all that kind of thing. I do feel like, I, I mean, Carlos pointed out, for example, and again, it probably got missed because there's a lot, as you say, there's a lot of information going on, a lot of information that needs to be noted, written down, etc. But you know, he had already said that uh, you know it was uh, you know four crew on board, um, and I, I do right, yeah. And I think I agree with you. In the listening part, you know, we also have to recall that the, these controllers are sitting in a room with other controllers, so we're not hearing the additional chatter. There might be a supervisor hanging over top of them, asking questions or, or coming in. Uh, he's trying to type and maybe talk simultaneously to, to get the notes down into the, the system. And also, we're you know, simultaneously asking the, the, the Koreans to formulate a conversation almost the way the discussion was going. Mm. Now, you notice when he did his spiel where he said, pan, 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 that it came out in really nice, crisp English, a really clear message because it's a very practiced phrase mm. that he was doing. And then his brain didn't have to contemplate it. It's a, a muscle memory, almost uh, a thought and, and a phrase form. And that's sort of where the, the trouble started. It was because the, the, the information probably was hitting them simultaneously from both sides. And they're trying to process this, make a determination who's, who's flying the plane, who's talking on the radios, because maybe you know, the captain's maybe not the strongest on English, but may, and maybe he wants to fly, or maybe he wants to talk on the radios, or maybe he wants to sit back and watch it, let the FO fly, and have the third seat guy talk on the radios. There's this weird combination. The voice seems to change several times there, and one person definitely seems a little bit stronger on their English capability to 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 uh, flip back and forth between a, a phrase versus a conversation. But yeah, the conversation wasn't going across clearly, um, and that's because we're not we're not using standard RT. Uh, I think uh, Captain Now would be uh, cringing. Yeah. heavily and, and saying some major comments about this because it is definitely the case and there is definitely uh, appropriateness of a, a good rt and be able to pass information you, you listen to a a good military uh, pilot when they check in someplace it is a very mechanical delivery of information i, mm. I the all night uh when we were coming down some uh probably bomber checked in with a canadian controller and the way he, his call, like he knew it right away he was military. He didn't have to even listen to the call sign. It was just like call sign, position, altitude, uh, location, squawk, and in like a real quick, hard message. So, And there was no questions about it. So a couple of questions yeah. to both you and Armando, just quickly from the chat room, if I may. Uh, Bill's picked up on, he said, why are they using Pan versus Mayday? Is there any particular reason for that? 
Yeah, Pen uh, is actually you... approved here in the U.S. Also, just nobody uses it. Right. Okay. And in honor of a, a guy like the watch on the, uh, the the radio, or talking about radios, there are four engines on the airplane. Mm. <laughs> uh, um, so yeah, it's not a, it's not a, it's actually not technically a required Mayday call for us until we lo- have fifty percent loss of uh, power. And this seems to be a, probably a compressor stall event. Uh, so they're shutting the engine down. So it's controlled. I mean, we just actually had this in my training uh, discussion point that okay, if we lose a lose one of four engines, mm-hmm. we might still go to where we're going. We're not going to go across the ocean. I, I almost guarantee we're not doing that. But if I was going New York to Miami, I might continue to Miami if it was a basically a, a minor yeah thing. Yeah. I, yeah. There's I, I a couple of things here also. Um, the terminology of fuel dump versus jettison. Mm. I think that got a little bit lost in translation um, where the controllers were asking them, do you need to dump fuel? And they're talking about, we need to jettison fuel. Um, I, in, us on a clear call, we can understand the differences, but I think on a congested radio frequency that could get lost mm. a little bit. And also there's a difference here. I am not a controller, right? But uh, it, in ICAO, um, in the rest of the world, there are designated fuel dumping areas. Well, you know, so when you declare something like that, a pan pan, and, and you say you have to dump fuel in the rest of the world, um, there the ATC is going to give you vectors to a place that doesn't really exist. So I was looking through the 7110-65, and there is no such thing as a designated fuel dump area unless it's specifically designated in that in that um, airspace. But it's not in written in our FAA regulations. So the crew, I interpret, were waiting for an approval to dump fuel from the controller while the controller is just like, sure, you want to dump fuel? And there are, you know, vertical separation and um, and some, some uh, lateral separation that they have to do for an aircraft dumping fuel. There's a, a standard phrase that ATC here in the U.S. is supposed to say. But it's just a, a broadcast out saying, hey, there is an aircraft dumping fuel at this altitude at this location. Um, they, it, it seemed to me like that was a little lost and that the crew was waiting for an approval to dump fuel. Well, ATC is just kind of saying, okay, you're going to dump fuel, dump fuel. So I think that, that led to a little confusion there. Yeah. Yeah. And I, one of the other things that was said in the chat room there, and I think we should sort of probably sort of move on, but uh, one of the things that was there is like, you know, slowing the speech down would almost certainly have helped um, everybody here, perhaps. Um, and again, I, I guess it's a, a high pressure situation. So you're just trying to get as uh, much information as possible. But, you know, perhaps when it's clear there is a language barrier there that, you know, I mean, in a call center the first thing you do is uh you don't you don't patronize you just slow down your speech so that you're not going quite so quickly and it's easy for them to sort of translate in their heads heads if you see what i mean because if you have if you're having trouble picking up the syllables and and things related to the word that you're trying to say then that's just super challenging isn't it unnecessarily so yeah one of the old, old school things that we were all taught uh, at least my generation wise was when you had a problem as the captain was the first thing you do is you slid your seat back, you grabbed a cigarette out, you lit it and took a drag. And you know, okay, that doesn't happen nowadays. Right. But 
uh, now we replace that with grab your cup of coffee and take a sip. And it's because to slow you down since you're making those comments in a more um, managed way. Uh, one of the videos that I've been shown a couple different times when uh, talking about emergencies is actually a, 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 a BA flight losing an engine. And the, uh, I don't know, it was the first officer, the captain doing the call. And uh, he's like, you know, pan, 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 pan. And it's just this very slow, drawn out message, but it has all the information. And then if you look at the time wise, it's actually only about four seconds, but it sounds like an eternity when you're used to flying the Northeast corridor hmm. and everything's in the rapid fire. But that just teaches you that you can, you can do a lot with uh, a slower speech rate if it all comes out in one shot, Nate, you're, you're getting them prepped and you do the message and all the information is received in one shot. You're not having to have this back and forth while trying to do a checklist simultaneously. And, you know, doing a, an engine surge checklist is, it's a, you know, it's a lot of reading. You got to pull out the, pull out the book. You got to look it up. You got to get into it. And these aren't, you know, for some four, these aren't immediate actions. These aren't, you know, aren't, aren't a rush for us. It's not a major issue. Uh, we all generally know the drills, you know, we're going to pull that engine back to an idle, hopefully get to, to start to working properly or just go ahead and plan on shutting it down. If we think there's been some damage to it, or we see any indications of damage and somebody tell me if sparks come out, I'm pretty sure there's damage. So I, I have a, 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 a Neil Landwarns just reminded me. So the very first episode of an amazing TV program here in the UK called Faulty Towers, uh, which <laughs> which had Basil Faulty in it and Manuel. And one of the first things that he says is, uh, you know, it highlights the language barrier perfectly, doesn't he? He says, uh, Manuel, Manuel, there is too much butter on those trays. And Manuel goes, no, no, Mr. Faulty, no, no. It's unos, dos, tres. <laughs> yes okay just just me then uh, you need, you need to see the program to appreciate yeah yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah i think so yeah yeah, yeah. fair enough um right we better move, move swiftly on mm. uh competition this week we are giving you another week to enter the competition this week we've had some entries in uh uh, never be back. Uh, hopefully next week to uh, pull the yes. winner out of a he, hat. The he's, question... in, he's in charge of quizzes. He's in charge yeah. of quizzes. So Nev is giving away a pristine, brand new, gorgeous uh, BA business class amenity kit bag with all the bits and pieces inside. It's very nice indeed. Uh, we Gemma has a few here in the drawer. She loves it. Uh, but uh, this week's question, uh, or the last week's question for this week as well, is which firm? So which company? Which firm supplies? Ex exclusively BAs with their amenity kits Ooh. in Club World. So, which uh, firm, which company supplies exclusively British Airways with their amenity kits in Club World? Answers via email, please, not in the chat. So, answers via email or via the WhatsApp number. All details on that coming up at the end of the show. So, quick look at the caption this for this week. Matt will pop this pitch up on the oh, screen. Oh, have we got a picture? Hang on. Right, yes, there on is it. one. Yeah, yeah. Okay. don't worry. On it, on it, on, uh, on it, on it. And uh, this week is cat. This week's picture is a special one for Matt. It's a kind of story number two that we'd normally class as story number. Well, yeah, story number two on the show. Uh, Matt, quickly, for the benefit of those in the audio world, you're looking at a. 
Well, I don't really. I, I, I feel like it's a hangar that's too short for a Boeing 737, and they've had to be inventive with the uh, <laughs> the foam and everything in order to sort of seal the door round the tail end of a Ryanair 737. So we had a, a swathe of uh, captions in for this this week. Uh, this one's UK Airfields comes up with, got the bum deal again with oh, Ryanair. Dear. <laughs> oh, dear. Next, uh, J- Jake Castle said, push, you're nearly there. Oh, it's, gas and air oh will I cost see. Ah, uh, right. Yes, yes, I see. Yes, yes. Giving birth to the plane. Uh, yes. <laughs> ah, nice. Uh, Similar, similarly. Alan White. Uh, says live stream from Boeing's maternity wing. Oh my! <laughs> uh, John, do you want to take one? Yeah, Jake Cass says when you need the toilet all day and you're nearly home. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> uh, Steve Steve Tears is saying that uh, no door plugs here. Oh dear. Uh, the lovely Jenny in Rome says uh, before reversing, check rearview mirror. Be a good idea, actually, with this. Well, I feel like the next one is probably true. It's, Bill says it's what happens when Ryanair decides to not pay the full hangar rental fee. Yeah, absolutely. I completely get that. Uh... John, John, oh, John, do the next one? John Taylor says bullseye. Hey. Oh yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, sorry. Uh, talk amongst yourselves for a minute. Uh, a popular, a very popular saying here in the UK, especially with some of the um, car park, supermarkets around here. Uh, Leanne says, can't park there. Very good. You need to be in the UK to appreciate that one. I'm in the UK. I didn't get it. Oh, Matt, where have you been? Under a stone. Uh, Armando, what's Paul saying? Paul says, well, it's a bold move by Boeing to increase capacity, but but I'm afraid it's going to fly like a brick. (laughs) A A house brick, in fact. Yeah, absolutely. John, do you want the next one? Jake Castle says, Brian Air, take uh, extra precautions in case Boeing door opens. I, absolutely. I think they're being very thorough there. Yeah. Uh, Mazus is saying, forget stag hunting. This is a proper trophy for the wall, says B-A-C-E-O. <laughs> One for Nev there. Indeed. What have we got in the chat room? What have we got in the chat room? Some... But thank, thanks to everyone who's uh, uh, entered well, this uh, week. I think there's three in the chat room, but I don't know if we can read them out. Um... We'll, just la- we'll just laugh at them. <laughs> yeah, okay. Oh! Richard I've Adams. Them. I've just read them. <laughs> Richard Adams. Oh Lord. Oh my. Um, uh, oh dear. Uh. <laughs> For those of you uh, who are listening in the audio world, uh, if you take yourself oh. to YouTube, you can replay. No, the no, chat. they won't be there. Unfortunately, by the time oh, no. they get there, no, definitely not. Oh my goodness me. <clears throat> well, that was um, a new feature for Carlos's wall. Uh, Ryan, uh, Richard Adams has said he's redeemed himself. That's, he's redeemed yeah. himself. Right. <laughs> oh my oh, goodness! Hot in here. It has. It's gone very well. Oops, he says. Yeah, absolutely. Well, there we are. I, I did, uh, that that took an unexpected turn. I'm not going to lie. Right. Okay. <laughs> Armando, over to you. Oh, hang on, Matt, hang on, hang on, hang on. Whoa, whoa. No, I'm God. just kidding. <laughs> Blimey. <laughs> hang on. I've got the wrong screen up. It's all going horribly wrong. Hang on. Uh, uh, talk amongst yourselves. Uh, f- uh, we're three, two... Uh, I can press Here it now. Watch up, buggies. One, three, five, fifty, angels, sixteen. Three, four, zero.
honestly, give me a radio desk any day. It's far easier. <laughs> oh, Richard Adams. Oh, oh. no. Is he, he's, he's still going. Um, well, anyways, uh, something safe. Let's talk about military. Uh, the Air Force is bringing in a new chief of staff. So this is the top position in the Air Force, uh, top military position. Yeah, actually, if you, in case anybody doesn't know, the U.S. military force is actually civilian-led. That's by constitutional um, uh, doctrine that uh, there will always be a military in, uh, in charge. Sorry, there will always be a civilian in charge of the military. But this is the highest military position in the Air Force. And uh, this new chief of staff, his name is General David Alvin. Um, one of the first things, if you walked into his office, that you see is a C-46. Nice and, you know, I, I like his taste in aircraft. Uh, but it's a C-46 Soaring across a uh, foreboding sky as lightning is flashing in the background. Uh, the picture actually tells a story, according to General Alvin. It says that there's some trouble ahead, and we need to pierce through that and get through it to the other side. It's a not-so-subtle metaphor for the challenges facing this 23rd Air Force Chief of Staff as he leads the U.S. Air Force into what is kind of an uncertain future. In the midst of an ambitious restructuring of the Department of the Air Force with rising conflicts around the world, dangerous peer competitors in China's, in China's, in China, in Russia, uh, an uncertain budgetary environment at home. General Alvin is taking over at what is nothing less than a pivotal moment. Uh, obviously, we've got the Russia, Russia's ongoing war in Ukraine, skirmishes in the Middle East, uh, which we're not going to talk about today on the show, you know, but there's some developments there. Um, and then, of course, Iran is kind of making the news now. It's a it's an already complex international situation. Um, the interview that he did with Air and Space Forces magazine, uh, General Alvin said that there we are at a point where all things are there to go one of two directions. If the U.S. rises to the challenge, it can pers uh, it can pr preserve its global role, but there is also a darker path in which the U.S. could be ground down, and rivals could start taking advantage of that. He continues to say that if, US, if the U.S. harnesses its full array of economic, diplomatic, informational, and military capabilities, it can sustain the rules-based international order. But if it cannot, they are, we are at a risk of becoming a regional power by the year 2050. Um, with his shaved head, which I admire his haircut, and clean face, <laughs> gentle in manner and tone, uh, General Alvin can seem like an unlikely choice to be an Air Force Chief of Staff, although the last one had a shaved head, too. Um, his career path is hardly a textbook ex example of a Chief of Staff uh, traditional development role. But as the eighth of nine children, he grew up watching and learning from others and then applied that experience to his career as a mobility and test pilot. About one in every six of his 4,600 flight hours came as a test flight uh, test pilot. Um, exacting missions in which he evaluated new systems and equipment, including test flights on the then new C-17 and C-130J at Edwards Air Force Base in California. Um, he served as General C.Q. Brown's deputy. He worked quietly, uh, that was the last chief of staff, quietly and, um, and for a while almost invisibly behind the scenes focusing on Air Force Secretary Frank Kendall's, that's the civilian leader of the Air Force, uh, his operational imperatives and leading a task force that uh, tackled recruiting challenges by removing barriers to service that had barred some previous candidates from joining 
and that work giving gave him an intimate understanding of the bureaucratic and institutional obstacles that need to be flattened as the air force optimizes and adapts into this uh, evolving era um there this is a, a really important role uh, why i put this story in there even though it's not an airplane story is uh, there's almost uh, 330,000 active duty airmen uh, 600,000 if you include the guard and the reserves and and certainly over a million if you include the families and the civilians and the contractors um so this is the this is the one person that the one individual that leads the entire force and also makes the US Air Force um fit well with the other services uh the army the navy the marines um and it's such a a pivotal role every 4 to 6 years there's a new chief of staff and there's a lot of change that happens uh, both within the military service and politically, as you guys can imagine. And, and that's another part that is really unique to this to this role is dealing with Congress is a kind of a special gift. So while you are a military leader, a career military officer, you are often uh, up on Capitol Hill and dealing with the White House and dealing with Congress uh, to make sure that uh, the nation's national security needs are met, but as well as the needs of uh, the care and feeding of this almost 1 million airmen uh, and their families. Um, and of course, they are kind of the voice of reason through conflict and volatile times. Um, so it's a, it's a really important role. And uh, I've never worked for General Alvin, but I know people that have, and he is well suited for this role. And I look forward to seeing how the Air Force um, I guess kind of evolves itself into its next iteration to to meet all these emerging you know conflicts and and technology really is the the fastest catalyst for change for the U.S. Air Force. So we'll see how this goes over the next few years. Six hundred thousand sounds like not, um, sounds like a lot, but in the U.S., I suppose that that's not a huge number, or am I? Uh, well, it's not little. Um, hmm. The Marines are the only smaller service than the U.S. Air Force, Both the Navy and the Army are bigger. So um, the Air Force is kind of right there, at, you know, as one of the smaller services, but we're mm. very technical in the way we do things. So we value um, intellect and innovation over uh, brute force most of the time. That was a very diplomatic this statement. Air Force Chief of Staff has to be go, go through a lot of complex situations. I and mean, he's got, right now, there's two to three major weapon system developments going on right now. Huge recruiting retention issues. Uh, the threat matrix has uh, totally shifted from uh, a few years back where it was all terrorism. And now we're back to essentially Cold War concepts and, uh, and possibly a, a two to front war so it's a a huge uh task that just taken on and uh and when you don't have the right person in there and you go back into the 90s and general mcpeak came in there and and he was i think universally despised uh if nothing else for his one choice of uniforms made him uh infamous but uh you know he, his whole attitude really drove down the uh, the esprit de corps of the Air Force and it took quite a while to get it back up after his uh, departure. So this is a very important position uh, for any of the services. Yeah, it's true. 
Um, Carlos, you've got the next story, which uh, Jonathan Warner is going to love since he <laughs> loves the B1 Monarch. Yeah, from Kota uh, TV or K-O-T-A TV dot com. Uh, Ellsworth moves bombers to Texas uh, due to January the 4th crash investigation. Last Thursday, the 28th bomb wing at Ellsworth Air Force Base moved an undisclosed number of its B-1 bombers to a Texas base so that the unit can uh, continue to train while the military is investigating why one of its bombers crashed. The flights are the first chance since January the 4th crash and the bomber was part of a two-ship training mission that was returning to base. and The lead bomber landed with that incident. The bomber was landing at night during inclement weather when it crashed on approach, skidding down the runway before veering off. The four-person crew was able to eject, but the bomber appears to be a total loss. Some tags on their way then. Uh, in a story on its website, Ellsworth stated that the base worked with investigators to ensure it was safe to launch the aircraft Thursday. The runway was then closed again so the investigation can continue. The units deployed to Dias Dice Air Force Base Dias Air Force Base uh, Texas uh, includes several hundred airmen as well as the bombers and it's unknown when they will return to Ellsworth the investigation is ongoing and the Air Force has not said when it might be finalised there's a part two here who put this in here Armando uh, this is uh, from uh, kwch.com and it's a B-1 bomber arrives in Wichita after a four-day trek from Texas. So drivers in south-central Kansas had quite the sight of their commute on Saturday morning. as some sort of B-1 bomber being transported along the local roadways. The plane arrived in Wichita in the early morning before being delivered to the National Institute for Aviation Research. It took crews from Birard Trucking and police escorts four days to carry the 146-foot-long bomber o uh, jet over 400, 450 miles uh, from the Air Force Base in Abilene, Abilene Texas, to Kansas. Uh, the plane was brought to the Institute to undergo 3D scans that will help in maintaining and repairing future aircrafts. Janet Houghton was one of many who followed the B-1 bomber from Texas and said while it was a slow journey, it was a sight to see for drivers that passed along the highways. She said everyone was taking pictures, everyone was so welcoming and just wanted to see what was going on. I must admit I'd be there as well. So would Mr Warner. Uh, this is history and I tell you what it makes me proud to be an American. According to Red Home Aviation on Facebook, the specific B-1 bomber that was seen travelling through Kansas Saturday experienced engine failure and caught fire while performing an engine run after maintenance. The aircraft is now at Wichita for further research and testing. I'm just thinking about plane tags. I mean, Jonathan Warner must be putting his hands, rubbing his hands together, I should think. I think I, I, I saw a picture of Jonathan Warner following this truck down the road in Kansas, just trying to catch any pieces that fall off. <laughs> now, Mandy, you've got a Warbirds update for us here in the UK. Yeah, pretty cool, um, especially because we had an interview with Neil Parkinson, who flies for Spitfires.com. Um, he uh, flies the Spitfires down in Bournemouth, I believe, but uh, just recently this week, Ultimate Warbird Flights, which is a exclusive 
Spitfire and Warbird flight operator at Sywell Aerodrome in Northampton. They unveiled a new paint scheme for the former Australia-based two-seat Mustang. This P-51 named Jersey Jerk was the mount of a major Donald A. Strait of the 356 Fighter Group, paying homage to his home state of New Jersey. That kind of checks. I'll leave that right there. Um, this uh, Mustang was originally built in Melbourne, Australia, under license by the Commonwealth Aircraft Company, uh, construction number 1435, serial number A68-110, delivered in 1948. It actually flew with the RAAF uh, most of its life before being sold for scrap. Can you imagine this in 1957? What? More information is available if you go to vintageaviationnews.com and you can pick yourself one up. Uh, decades later, it was uh, reappeared for a composite restoration project via a Fort Lauderdale, Florida uh, company. And um, let's see, 1997, it was finally registered in Australia as VHMFT and restored to airworthy status with its first flight coming in, in uh, January 24, 2002 from its home base in Kabul Tour, uh, configured with full dual controls for the passenger seat and turned into its uh, what is called a T-51 D configuration, allowing for the operation of two decades of joy flying in Australia. In 2020, it was sold again. And Ultimate Warbird Flights, the long-standing supplier of Spitfire flights, have been in operation since 1985. The company is also the only UK operator of a two-seat dual-control P-51 Mustang and the world's only operator of a two-seat dual-control ME-109. So it is pretty cool if you get a chance to go up to um where did we say it was in northampton at sywell i would pay whatever whatever they charge to fly in a two-seat mustang um let's see the next story kind of related uh d-day squadron so this is uh shuttleworth's d-day weekend in 2024 the bank holiday weekend is uh, may 25th and 26 2024 shuttleworth it's going to be playing host to the world-renowned D-Day Squadron, who is oh, wow. going to start their European tour in commemoration of the 80th anniversary of Operation Overlord, more commonly referred to as D-Day. Their mission is in collaboration with the Commemorative Air Force and their D-Day Squadron participating aircraft from all across Europe and the USA arriving on that Saturday, uh, departing Sunday, so that's May 25th, 26th of this year. Several C-47s and DC-3s will assemble at Old Warden, aerodrome for their first event of the 2024 legacy tour uh, once the d-day squadron air crews make their crossing over the atlantic reaching the uk they're going to head to uh, the historic north wield uh, airfield in essex um, shuttleworth d-day weekend two full days of an entertainment activities relating to the significance of the d-day landings as well as the influential role of the c-47 in uh, military service and of course, the DC-3 as a civilian aircraft. So there you go. D-Day Squadron, we followed them for a couple of years now. And they're going to be over there in the UK. If you get there, take some pictures, take some video, get to know the crews, send them in to us. And as a reminder, as some of our listeners have done already, if you get a chance to do an interview with mm. some of these folks, an iPhone usually works just fine. Absolutely. Indeed. No galaxies. Yeah. No, go just kidding. Forgive my naivety here, and obviously they're going to fly them, but, I mean, the range on these is presumably pretty good then, is it, to be able to basically fly them here to the UK, or will there need to be sort of some clever 
Uh, no, I think it carries 8,500 pounds of gas in its standard configuration. I know our our Basler DC3s had um, 10,000 pounds of gas. They had additional auxiliary fuel tanks, but that was an additional option. So I, I'm mm. pretty sure it's 8,500 pounds of gas. Um, high, lots of that wing, that big, big wing makes lof, lots of lift. But they have done this crossing now a few times. Okay. Yeah. Um, and certainly, you know, in World War II when they were being produced... They uh, they did they crossed many yes many of course yeah DC yeah, threes yeah, and C forty sevens no that's fair no I get that I have an old colleague of mine actually owns a DC three and uh, he participated in the, the fly in uh, for the seventy fifth and uh, I think they three hopped from uh, Canada Greenland Iceland and uh, I don't know if they even stopped in Ireland or Scotland I think they went straight into England so they have quite a bit of a range. When they uh, can get up and, and cruise, they don't fly as high as they used to, so it's a little, a little bit reduced. Hmm. That's just to protect yeah. the engines, and it's not comfortable for the crews to sit there on oxygen for a long time. <laughs> no, but, uh, and they're not tremendously fast. I mean, a, a standard DC three, maybe a Super three, will get uh, 135, 145 knots. So, Gosh, okay, ooh, you you got to wait for the right winds to cross the North Atlantic yeah. for sure. But uh, uh, but you can't get up and walk to the back. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Big, uh, difference, just your, big, big difference. Remind your buddy that owns the DC3 Armando at plaintalkinguk.com because I have a DC3 type rating. So I'm just, you know, I'll wait just, for the email. Just saying, just saying. <laughs> Absolutely. He's at Manassas. I, oh, I've seen it then. I've I've seen it because I did a couple oh, charters. Well, it's, it's, it's a Clipper Tabitha. I will send him a copy of my license and, with a DC3 type rating. Wait. I, I think we're at the time, guys. Yes, we are. Helpful. Yes, we need to. Uh, we look are. At the timing. Yeah, I know. Armando, social media links. We're going to get you to do them this week. So, where can people find out more about uh, the show? Well, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Well, we don't call it Twitter anymore. X, Instagram. Just look for Plain Talking UK. You could just do a Google search for Plain Talking UK. Don't forget our WhatsApp number, which we always appreciate, especially during the show. Challenging Matt with pictures. That's plus four uh, plus four four seven five seven. Two two four nine one six six. We get a lot of emails at podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. Uh, that's where you can also submit your uh, quiz submissions. And you can always just go to our website, which I don't think we've updated in quite a while, but we should do that soon. That's plaintalkinguk.com. And if you're here on YouTube, you got to like it, subscribe it, get the notifications, all that stuff. And um, yeah. There you go. That's where you can Indeed, find those us. Those are the socials. Uh, quick round, Robin. Um, what's in your calendar then, John, for next week? Well, uh, today, I'm, as soon as we get done here, I'm rolling on a plane to go to Miami, hopefully get my medical done because that's got screwed up with my diversion. And then I'm off to Sao Paulo, uh, there for a couple of days. A flight through uh, Santiago and back up to Miami back up to the Arctic north of uh, Anchorage and back to New York to finish out hopefully my flying. And I might Slimy. have a couple of days in Phoenix with the uh, parents to say hi and uh, head back home. Blimey, that's, that's, that's quite the itinerary. Carlos. I don't know how you don't get more sick going from Sao Paulo, <laughs> Brazil to Anchorage yeah, yeah. In, one, in the same week. I'm not looking forward to that one. No, I, I, I had uh, until this morning, I had a very thick beard in, in preparation for that. Yeah. flying i was supposed to originally be going all i was going to be doing was going back mm. and forth new york to anchorage which looked miserable so i'm actually kind of looking forward to uh 
a Brazilian steakhouse opportunity. Yeah, so. absolutely. Amen to that. Carlos, what have you got on your itinerary for this week? Oh, not a lot now. Start, start, start to get a bit quiet towards the end of the week. But uh, on Sunday, I should be travelling up to, or down, down to, down to London Heathrow. Uh, me and Gemma are travelling down there to London Heathrow. You will be living here. Yes, yes. And uh, Monday morning, we are heading off to Geneva, the lovely Geneva, yeah. uh, with uh, Nev's very own BA uh, guys and girls on the A321 Neo. Indeed. indeed. Uh, so I shan't be here next Wednesday because we shall be, we should be on a, should be hopefully on our way back from Heathrow mm, uh, this time next indeed. week. So uh, yeah. 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 And Carlos is absolutely furious because the catering has been massively improved while. Uh, oh my word. Honestly, like, if you the... saw the fridge contents <laughs> for Matt's stay next week. You know, I mean, what can I say when royalty stays? Um, you know, these things have to be, uh, these have to, these things have to be done. Uh, me, I haven't got uh, a great deal on the calendar, obviously, because I'm, I'm cat sitting. Got a very poorly little Alfie at the moment. My my little Jack Russell Alfie is a bit bit poorly, so very worried about him at the moment. So, uh, uh, love and kind words will be greatly appreciated. Uh, fingers crossed, he'll be. Uh, We're used to back. hearing him bark. Yeah, on I the show, know. Well, as I say, and, and that tells you how poorly he is. We haven't heard him all night. Uh, that, that, that tells you its own story. So, so yeah, love to little Alfie, please. Uh, greatly appreciated uh, for a speedy recovery. But uh, yes, Armando, what are you doing next week? Yeah, well, first of all, I feel like my dogs tonight made up for Alfie's barking because they're <laughs> kind of going bananas. Yeah. Um, well, let's see. Tomorrow, I got to take the 206 up to Burlington, North Carolina engine shop, get it bore scoped just to make sure that everything is uh, tidy. It's like getting a colonoscopy when you're over 45 for an airplane. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. Then we're <laughs> off to a ski and snowboard weekend here oh, in wow. the uh, yeah in the Blue Ridge Mountains. So the whole family, we're packing up. Uh, literally packing up the station wagon like Clark Griswold and um, yeah, heading up to the mountains for four days. Um, yeah. And uh, next week I won't be on the show. I'll be picking up the Hawker from uh, maintenance. We'll be love in Tampa it. that day flying back home to Charlotte. So love it, love it, love it. Love it. So that's why we bring episode 488 to a close this week. Big thanks to uh, John and uh, producer John and Nick as well for all the hard work. Well done, Nick, for this week, putting the stories in place. Good to see some special ones in there just from Matt. Uh, I won't be back next week, but the guys will be back next week. So thanks to all the chat room. And, uh, yeah, last words this week, final words from Matt Smith. Me? Oh, yes. Um... <laughs> <laughs> uh so i um 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 uh, have a ha, have a great week and um yeah see you soon bye like a pro